But nowadays it's used so loosely in many circles that by identifying yourself as a Christian, well, but fortunately you leave the listener or the person you're talking to with many possible options as to what they think that means. After all, we live in a Christian country, but yet we live in a country with no time for Christ. And so how we as believers try to pass this and try to identify ourselves very often to the world around us is we use the phrase here in John 3, that we're born again Christians. We're born again Christians. A day when we were born again and came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Now maybe you're here this evening and you don't know what that means. Maybe you've heard it through the years, maybe you've heard people describe themselves in that way, but you're not the wiser to what they're talking about. But maybe on the hand you're here tonight and you know exactly what that means. You know in your head what that means, but you've never experienced it. Well tonight, as, as I seek to walk through these verses which we've just read, and let, we let hopefully let God's word teach us what it means to be born again. Probably seeing this passage as an extraordinary encounter for Nicodemus. I'm sure we've all had many encounters, maybe some more extraordinary than others in our lives. Every other story about a family on a ski holiday many, many years ago. The husband and wife were at the ski resort getting lunch. And the wife admitted that she gets quite hungry. And I'm quite sure many of some here know what that means. And she was waiting in line to order and to get her food. And right as she's about to order, a guy tried to cut in front of her, pushed her away in front of the queue and interrupted her. So she being hungry, she snapped and she shouted at him and asked him who he thought he was and told him to go back to, go to the back of the line like everyone else. So she got her food and went back to her, her husband who was sitting there, mouth wide open in shock. Do you know who that was, he said. No, no, I too, he's right play. That was Piers Brosnan. You just yelled at James Bond and asked him who he thought he was. The wife didn't reply, well, he may have a license to kill, but he doesn't have a license to cut the queue. <laughs> Maybe you have an extraordinary encounter, but it won't be as extraordinary as the one which you've just read in this passage. It's this day of salvation was Christ seeking to explain to this man named Nicodemus in this encounter in chapter 3. And his introduction is given there in, in verse 1. And there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The name Pharisee identifies Nicodemus as an extremely religious man, a separatist in what, in what he believes and also in how he lives his life. This law were extremely strict in keeping the Old Testament laws, including <coughs> Sabbath day, tithing, circumcision, ceremonial cleanliness, eating only certain foods, fasting, observing holy days, and so on and so forth. We certainly don't have many living such a secluded life but like this nowadays here in Northern Ireland. But we do have people who pride themselves greatly on their religion and then it shaped their life and how they live their life and their culture. Here was a man who thought he had all the answers already. Thought he had his path to heaven already mapped out. And again, how many such people do we have in our province today? They think they have their path to heaven already mapped out. But only do we see that the Pharisee we see here was also a ruler of the Jews. This means he was a member of the Sanhedrin with oversight over various political, religious, and Jews. <coughs> and the word used here indicates that Nicodemus was, was actually quite high up in the membership of the Sanhedrin, which meant in that day he would have been one of the wealthiest men in all of Jerusalem. Surely a man like this has all the answers. Surely if there were questions to be asked, then he would be the one that people would go to. He would be the one who would be answering the questions. Nicodemus was the best kind of person of religion, education, and culture to produce. He was a man who would have been the pride of his household and his family. He was a man who, in those days, would have been called an influencer, somebody who spoke with authority, 
and when he spoke, others would listen and often they agreed with. But yet we discover in the following verses that it was Nicodemus who has the questions, it is him who has the concerns and the dissatisfaction, it is he who doesn't have any peace. And friends, surely tonight this speaks volumes. We can strive and strive and strive to make ourselves and our lives as good as we possibly can, but we will never be able to strive enough. We will never be able to get to that position where we are content and at peace simply because we are living in sin. The man or a woman living in complete poverty in this life, they, they may have no peace, but maybe they have a path to peace mapped out. Maybe it looks a bit like wealth and prosperity is what they believe will bring them to peace. But if they ever get to the stage where they reach that, they will see that peace is not found in possessions or possessions. The scripture here is, has given Nicodemus an introduction. And from what we can see, that Nicodemus could be defined as a Pharisee, he could be defined as a ruler for the Jews. But ultimately, friends, he could be defined as a sinner. A man who was born with a sin nature. A man who every day, through thought and deed, sinned against the Holy God, despite his best efforts. I wonder if I asked you to describe yourself tonight. How to do it. Maybe it would be, hello, I'm, I'm Joe Bloggs, and I'm a teacher, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a farmer, or an engineer, or whatever it is you may choose. But yet the thread that holds us all together is our nature of sinners. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you could introduce yourself tonight as hello, my name is such and such, and I'm a sinner. I can introduce myself tonight as hello, I'm Joshua Watson, and I'm, I'm a sinner. Friend, mind do you realise that you're a sinner and that you fall well short of, of, of the Holy God in his eyes? Nicodemus comes to the right place. And verse, verse 2 tells us the same came to Jesus by night. Comes to the right place, but notice he comes in secret. You see, when Nicodemus come from the circles he, he lived in, the message of Christ was not a very popular one. It was not a good look to be listening to Christ or to admit that he's the one with the answers. So he comes by night and he stays in the shadows to talk to the Saviour. Friends, I won't surprise you to know that the man of Christ and the message of Christ is still not popular, whether that's in the news or in the everyday places like schools and workplaces. Then it's not popular to speak about Christ, it's not popular to seek Christ. He's been labeled and reduced to a significant figure, a significant man in the, in the course of human history, but they've missed the whole point. And if you're here tonight, and you're unsaved, and I'd imagine that you're all too aware of this. And you're worried even maybe about what your peers may think if they hear that you were a Green's Baptist tonight <coughs> listening to the gospel. But friends, like Nicodemus, you're here in the right place. I pity you for coming tonight and having to listen to me preach, but you're in the right place. You've heard it from me this year, even through what we've already sang, what we've already read. The message of the gospel isn't popular, but it's a message which the world needs to hear, including you. Here tonight, if you're unsaved. The internet age we live in is a driven a tremendous thirst for knowledge. Podcasts and blogs have accompanied the traditional books, the newspapers, the TVs, the radios. And of course, not forgetting the far reaching Google search. But for the message was Nicodemus needed to know, he came to the right place. It's a message that the world needs to hear because as we thought about it already this evening, the world was in sin and needed a savior. And that's the abuse of man that Nicodemus came to that night, all many years ago. So he comes at night, but in the same verse we can also see that Nicodemus comes with a, a preconceived idea of idea of who Christ is. Because verse 2 says, The same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, 
For no man can do the miracles that thou doest, except God be with them. Then Nemus describes Lord Jesus Christ as a teacher. In fact, the word he used to say there carries with him the sense of a doctor. He knew this man wasn't a product of any of the religious schooling which he knew he went to, but yet he acknowledges that nevertheless he had an expert in his feet. Remember, he had heard the stories of the 12 year old boy from Nazareth who was teaching the religious leaders in Jerusalem. In fact, we read, we read in Luke 2 47 that all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. He acknowledged Christ as a teacher, but that's as far as it went. Nicodemus' academic expertise could not cover up his ignorance of the word of, word of God or of who this person actually was he was talking to. Even, even present-day theologians can resemble Nicodemus in this way. Those who study the Bible as a, as a history book, maybe, and, and they miss the whole point of who the scripture is all about. Nicodemus' description falls well short of who Christ really is, because he was identified with just as a man. If I was to ask all of us, who do we think Christ is? Who knows what answer we'd get? If we were to ask people as we walk down the street of Grange, we, we might find that a man, a teacher, a good man, maybe as high as, as they regard him. Or maybe you're here tonight and, and you're the same. All he is to you is a man. He'd interest in ideas and teachings, but he's no, he was no different than anybody else. Maybe that's your view. He lived a good life and he's an example, but that's, that's all he is. But friends, he's so much more than just a man. The Lord would ask his disciples in Matthew 16, But who do you say that I am? To which Peter would give that great answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, he's the Son of the living God. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator of all things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And friends, he is the one who one day every knee will bow. Philippians 2, 10, 11 tells us that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, are you clear tonight? Christ is much more than a man. Are you clear that he is much more than a teacher or even a moral compass? If that is your view, that he's, he's just a man, then one day when you leave this earth, you will stand in front of this one who you dismissed as just a man, and as Almighty Judge, he will dismiss you to a lost eternity of torment. If you hear the saving, you must say it, and that's a frightening thought. Because the one who you may have rejected time and time again is Lord over all. He is a great creator God. But for us who are here and we know what it is to be born again, save for time for eternity, what a glorious thought that is. Of course, the Bible makes clear the humanity of Christ, and of course, it's important to have that view. But yet, it's important to come to the realization that the small, weak, helpless babe that was born in that manger in Bethlehem was in fact God manifest in flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the one who came for us, this is the one who died for us, and this is the one who can save us. Friends, now that we've seen this man in demons, so I want us to move to the, the verse I introduced at the beginning, in verse 7. Marvel not, but I said unto thee, you must be born again. Between verse 2 and verse 7, the conversation between Nicodemus and Christ continues, and Christ tells Nicodemus that except a man be born 
again he cannot see the kingdom of God from not leaves Nicodemus confused. He doesn't grasp that the Lord is talking about something spiritual rather than something physical. He wasn't trying to start an argument, but he simply wants to grasp the truth. So he, he asked, how can this be? How can I be physically born again? And the Nicodemus is credit, he wasn't asking the Lord why, but rather he was asking how. He had a genuine realisation of his need and the emptiness in his life. Yes, he made a very successful life for himself and he achieved everything that could be expected of someone in Israel at that time. But he realised that his religion was empty of this man that he was just talking to. Friends, I wonder if you realise that tonight. John 10, 10 says, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I realise that no matter what you achieve in this life, how much happiness we seek to surround ourselves with, that eventually we can get to that point where we realise our happiness, where we wonder really what is it all about. I see it very early in my life and I think the Lord for that, and because of that, I was because of the fact that I was saved in life, it's meant that when difficulties have come, when for whatever reason life becomes hard, and to struggle even out of bed, the face of the I know I have a Savior who cares for me. I know the peace that passes all understanding, and I can know the comfort and the presence of one who never leaves me nor forsakes me. What I can't possibly comprehend is those is how those who are unsaved deal with difficult times. What is the hope? Where is the peace? For those who dismiss God altogether and call themselves atheists, then they believe that we're just playing a big game of chance, where one day nothing exploded to create everything. Decisions are just random chemical reactions in our brain and can't therefore be any right or wrong. There's no truth except for what you believe to be true in your own eyes. Life is meaningless and one day it all ends by dying like a dog. Friends, how do you get out of bed in the morning if that is your view? Christ would say, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Honestly, a friend in the meeting tonight, are you seeking for something which you just can't find? Are you seeking for answers for a purpose to fill that vacuum in your life which only Christ can fill? Well, then, like Nicodemus, you came to the right place because you're here to hear what you need of Christ. The Lord is all we need from life to allow us to enjoy this abundant life, but He is all that we need for eternity. A little further down in the chapter that that great verse in John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mentioned a minute ago that I can't comprehend how an unsaved person deals with difficult times. Well, let me say again, and even to a greater extent and degree, I can't possibly comprehend how an unsaved person can face death. A few months ago, on, on this pulpit actually, there was a lady gave her testimony. And she talked about one of the events in her life that spoke to her, and that was the death of her grandmother. And she recounted how she was a woman who wasn't born again, she wasn't saved. And as she took her final breath, she did so in tears and in trembling, because she didn't know where she was going after she closed her eyes for the final time. Friends, the Lord is all we need for life, but he's also all we need for death. David could say in in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord is a difference between perishing and eternity, and that place the Bible calls hell, or enjoying everlasting life in heaven with your Saviour. Christ went on to explain the how of this second birth. In verse 6 he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
and it's a spiritual birth which is required. The first birth causes a man to sink downwards because we're all born in sin. But friends, this second birth causes a man to rise upwards. One is heaven, one is earthly, one is heavenly. The first is of man, and the second is, of, is the work of God. The second birth is a divine miracle being accomplished by no man, no woman, no preacher, no evangelist, no priest. Christ makes a clear distinction between physical birth and not being born again. It isn't something which, through attending enough church meetings, that you drift into. Becoming a born again believer certainly isn't something that you drift into, friends. Or being brought up in, in a church background and you, you achieve it or you, you drift into it. It comes following a realization of who, of who we are and a realization of what Christ has done for us. Christ goes on to say in, in verse 6 that that which is born in the flesh is flesh, and that which is born in the spirit is spirit. The birth of our flesh came when we were physically born, when we entered into this world. But even on that day of new physical life for us, it's true to say that we were physically dead. Even that day of physical, physical life, we were physically dead. Ever since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been an enemy with God and has been dead spiritually to him. Friends, that's why I said you can't simply drift into the new, into the new birth. You can't simply drift into salvation. There's a spiritual dimension that was missing, and it's been missing ever since Adam fell. Man must have a spiritual rebirth in order to, to comprehend God. As one commentator put it, mankind isn't all there. Mankind isn't all there. There's something missing. I want to see if man and woman tonight in the, in the meeting or listening online. Do you realize that there's something missing in your life? And then if you do, do you realize that you cannot help yourself? But there's one you can't help, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died for you, the one who's given for you, the one who's seeking you, and the one who offers you. Maybe you've sat in a, in a meeting like this for months, or maybe you've listened to it for months, maybe years. You know the gospel well, but friends, you're still in my state. You're still without help and without hope. And it's my prayer and prayer for every saved person here tonight that you accept the salvation that's offered you so rich and so free. Somebody who has a new birth has no past, they only have a future. And that future is walking in the righteousness of Christ and no forgiveness for your sins. We don't read much else about Nicodemus in the scriptures. But anybody who knows the Bible knows that one such place is in John 19 and 39. Which tells us, and there it came to also Nicodemus, which is the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, then took away the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes. And this is a very different scene for Nicodemus. Previously, he didn't want to be seen openly, so he came to Christ in the night. But now he has no fears, and it's seen openly for all to see. He's no longer in the shadows, but rather he is not ashamed to know his Lord. Paul would say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for his power of God and salvation to everyone who believeth. And then again, in Galatians 6 and 14, God forbid that I should glory, and save from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If ever there would have been a difficult time to be a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was now where Nicodemus was. They crucified Christ, and now his disciples are facing greater danger and uncertainty than ever. And so Nicodemus, another man called Joseph Arimathea, they take the body of Christ from off the cross and they anoint it with what would have been expensive spices and linen, and, and they give the Lord a king's burial. But friends, we can see here the men who, who took, took Christ's body from off the cross, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. 
But the question that is posed to you and me tonight, and it's important to understand, is who was it that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? These men took him off, but who was it that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? You might say, well, it was the Romans, the Roman soldiers are the ones who invented the death by crucifixion. as the slowest and most painful death of that day. And it was them who conducted the beatings, the scourgings, the mocking, and crowning of the, with the crown of thorns. And ultimately, it was them who nailed his hands and his feet to that tree. Maybe you take it back a step further and you say, well, it was the religious leaders of that day who were responsible. They were the ones who, who plotted their rest. And on that fateful day, it was a Jewish crowd who then offered between Christ, who were an offer between Christ and Barabbas for release. They requested Barabbas and shouted of Christ, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe you go back one step for even further and you blame one who was one of the closest followers of Christ during his time on earth, Judas Iscariot. The one who betrayed him and plotted the Jewish leaders to have him arrested. But yet Christ would say in John 10 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Yes, it is true that the Romans, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people, and Jesus Christ all played their part to put Christ on the cross. But no man took Christ's life from him, but he laid it down himself. He would say in the garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed to his father, Not my will, but thine be done. So who is responsible for Christ dying on the cross? Well, it was you and with me. We were the reason, we were those who Christ would die for. Romans 5 and 8 says, But Christ commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died so we might be born again. He died on that cross and he bore the punishment for my sin and your sin so we can have salvation. Nicodemus comes with Joseph of Arimathea and they removed the body of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross where he hung and he died for the sins of the whole world. And it was there that he paid the price for Nicodemus' sin, for your sin, and for my sin. And this is the place where you must come to this evening to be born again. But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's hard to imagine what this scene would have been like for Nicodemus as he removed the precious body of Christ from the cross. I'm sure the feeling of, of sorrow and helplessness would have been overwhelmed. But friends, this sorrow was only temporary. The Lord rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death and hell. We could go to Israel today and we could reach, retrace Nicodemus' steps from a cross to the tomb. But praise the Lord that we lead to only lead an empty tomb. The two Marys went to go and see Christ's tomb on the third day. But they were met by an angel who told them, He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. The angel extended the invitation to come and see the empty tomb. The two Marys are here tonight. We are extending the invitation to you, unsaved sinner. Come and see, because the Savior lived. On the cross, he was able to cry, It is finished. The sin death had been paid, Calvary. And it pleased God to raise his son back from death to life. But like those when we think about them five words again, you must be born again. Once your friend, this message is the same for you tonight. This new birth in Christ is, is not a take it or leave it option. But leave it would mean that you're out of Christ and without a Savior, without hope and condemned for all eternity. Once your friend, this new birth is a gift offered by God, delivered through the death of his own son. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now 
is the day of salvation. Do you realize you're a sinner and accept God's gift of salvation? Because we'll now he's accepted time. But now is the day of salvation. We make that day the day. We pray that tonight you will acknowledge you're a sinner. You realize that Christ died on the cross for sin and come and that saved faith to Christ. As we talked about the start, our day of birth is, is something that's very special. On a day that is remembered for the rest of your life. But I pray that today, tonight, on the 19th of February, 2023, will also be a very special day. A day when you as an unsaved person will be born again. Have that day of salvation, ready for heaven and for home. A day you will remember and be thankful for, not just tonight, but throughout all eternity. Because it was that day you came in faith to Christ of the Son. And accepted the finished work of the cross. We pray that not to be the case tonight.